We are picking up. Last week, Chase was really through verse 21 in chapter 5, but we're, we're going to pick up tonight kind of where he ended, and it's going to move us into our discussion really in Romans 6, which is going to be our main passage, those first 10 verses especially, and look all the way through 14. So before we do that, I just want to pray one more time, ask that the Spirit of God would move in our minds and hearts, and so let's... Let's turn to the Lord right now. Father, we do thank you that you are among us. Thank you for that time to worship you and to sing to you and to one another, reminding ourselves of your grace, reminding ourselves of each of our testimony, what you did to save us. And we confess once again right now, Lord, it was not us. It was all you. Our only boast is you, Jesus. You are our life. And because of that reality, we know that our life then should look different and continually so. And we don't want to live in the sphere of legalism and discouragement and exhaustion. We want to understand what your word means when it says that we have been set free. What an unbelievable reality that has been granted to us which you mean for us to experience, and increasingly so. So, Lord, this evening as we open up your word, we're praying that the Holy Spirit would use this time, these words, this scripture, to open the eyes, not just of our minds to comprehend intellectual truths, but, God, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to feel different, to have new affections and new desires, to long not just for true knowing, but true living in such a way, God, that not only would we be changed continually from the inside out, but that those around us in our spheres of influence, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, our hobbies, Lord, that they would see the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us from death to life. And we pray this evening that you would Increase our understanding of what that means and our ability or to experience that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, welcome back. I think this is the fourth week. Is that right, Herb? Is this the fourth or fifth? It's the fifth week? Man, it's November 2021. How crazy is that? Anybody alive when Y2K happened? Who is not alive when Y2K happened? Corwin, you weren't alive? When were you born? Oh my goodness. You never got the joy of buying milk in, in case the computers across the whole world crashed and you know, electricity was done with and stuff. Okay, I don't know how that has to do with anything, but here we are in 2021, and I am excited about what the Lord is doing in these texts. I'm grateful for Chase and Herb who preached these last two weeks. Um, and I'm excited to, to look at this passage. So if we pick up in verse 18 of chapter 5, let's refresh on where Chase ended last week. He talked about, you know, heard two weeks ago this, the reality of those who are in Adam. And, and he said that week, and if you were listening, you, you need to know this. Every human being on earth today is either in Adam or in Christ. There is no other option. They are either living in the darkness or they are living in the light. And so Herb talked about the realities and consequences of living in 
in Adam. And now, last week, we heard from Chase about this wonderful, great news of what it means to be born again into Christ Jesus. And in verse 18, Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass in Adam led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness in Christ leads to justification, the, the act of declaring you right before God, saving you, and life for all men. For as by the one man Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, and if you are familiar with Romans, this is like reminding you of Romans chapter 1, the unrighteousness on earth under God. People are suppressing the truth. They're rejecting God. God is giving them over to their sinful ways. And in Romans chapter 3, we have this reality in verses 9 through 11. No one is seeking after God. No one does good. No one is righteous. No, not one. It gets worse. The wages of that sin, Chase mentioned last week, is death. So one day, you are going to have to pay for that sin. And if you are in Adam and not in Christ, the cost is going to be your very life, eternal life, or rather eternal death. And so we have this strong word here that sin is increasing, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And Chase used this word correctly last week. In the Greek, it's kind of like this, where sin abounded. It's the only time you see this word. It's you know, borderline. Like I always wondered if Paul made up this word. <laughs> I have no ability to be able to determine whether or not he did. But it's the only time it's used. Where sin abounded, grace superabounded. It's as if, you know, the Lord Jesus looks at the disobedience of all mankind. The depravity of Romans 1, the extent of that depravity that you see in Romans chapter 3, the penalty and wages of that sin in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And Jesus, in, in essence, said, I see all of your sin, how it is abounding, increasing, and I raise you the superabundance, superincreasing abundance of my grace. In other words, sin is no match for the grace of God. So that a sin reigned in death, that, that's going to be an important word for us tonight, reign. Grace also, now is the implication, might reign through righteousness, implication through Jesus' righteousness, leading, pushing us to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that's the, like, the great news of the gospel. It's like for all the people who would say, you know, Pastor, you just don't know the depths of what I've done. You don't know who I used to be. You don't know who I am today. Like, I need to get myself fixed up before I come to Jesus. Or, you know, if I were to walk inside a church and the walls are burned down. Or, you don't understand, I am too far gone. Paul says, actually, the good news of Jesus Christ is that you can take the depths of your sin. And the depths of God's mercy and grace are so much deeper. It's great news. But what we find is that... Coming to Jesus in the depths of your sin, confessing that sin, seeking and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by faith on the righteousness of Jesus alone, this actually implements power in your life. It's called the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God in you so that you may, as we'll see in Romans 6, walk in the newness of life. And that's, that's really where we're circling back to. So you remember week one? And we talked about this a little bit on this last Sunday, uh, in, in case you were here as well. This gap, remember? We're talking about union with Christ, what it means to live in union with Christ. We gave this example about this onion this last Sunday. I'm going to bring that up again here in a little bit. 
But this is, this is the reality that for those who are in Christ, everything changes about you. And so you have this declaration of justification. You've been saved, your sins are forgiven, and then people immediately when they meet Jesus typically are really excited about that news. Like, I'm forgiven? That's great news. And they sometimes get on the spiritual high and they're, you know, they're attending church and they're reading the Bible and they're fasting and praying and telling people about Jesus. All this incredible stuff is happening. And then at some point they're like, wait a second, I just gave into sin. Why am I still sinning? And then they are wrestling more so with sin, and they have this lack of assurance. Like, well, I thought I was forgiven. I thought I was dead to sin. I thought I was made new. Why am I now going back to the old me? And this is where, you know, in some evangelicalism, it can be really dangerous. This is why you have people praying the prayer of salvation over and over and over. They don't really mean it the first time. And people are paralyzed by this lack of assurance. Like, well, I, I think I really meant it. I said the words the pastor told me to say, and now like, I'm struggling again, so I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. And I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't times that the Lord really moves in people's hearts and pushes them towards serious repentance confession. But to live in this paralysis of constantly having to come and hope that now I really mean it. Now I'm really meaning these words. I really want to start my life is really paralyzing doesn't give us any hope, and it has a danger of making you think and live in such a way that your salvation is dependent upon you, rather than really trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this gap is where we live, and this is why we talk about this from death to life. And so many people will read Romans 5 and say, praise the Lord, my sin certainly has a boundary. Amen? Filthy, apart from Christ, wretched, I'm everything that Romans 1 through 5 says about me. And then you hear the good news, and you're like, there's super abundant grace, I receive that, I'm grateful for that. And Romans 6 is now written specifically to the people who are now saying, okay, how then should I live? How do I deal with sin that still resides in me? Sinful thoughts, sinful acts. Doesn't mean I'm saved. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. And so that's this whole purpose of chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, specifically. If we look at verse 1 in chapter 6, let's get to our main text now. Paul says, okay, the superabundant grace, and he asks these rhetorical questions constantly in Romans. You see these questions all the time. Paul is anticipating the reader's questions. So typically you'd have the superabundant grace announced, and then people would say, well, that's great news. In that case, I'll just keep on sinning in a lot because where my sin is increasing, grace is superabounding, and I'm good. So Paul says, well, so what should you say to this news? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's actually a really good question. We shouldn't scoff at the question because in some sense, it's the question whether we admit it or not, all of us have kind of asked. Now, you may not have asked it in the sense of, um, oh, maybe I should just keep sinning. But you do ask it in a sense of, it doesn't really matter if I keep sinning. Do you see the difference? We color different. I think most of us wouldn't go, boy, God's super abundant grace is so awesome that now I'm just going to continue to live in sin. But we do kind of church it up a little bit and go, that's really good news. So if I keep on sinning, you know, wanting the benefits of Jesus, but also the so-called benefits of this world at least grace will abound. Paul's 
answering the same question here and saying, by no means. That's not how you live. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, so here, here is why you have died with Jesus. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I just want to help you wrap your head around these words that are going to keep coming. You're going to hear this constant reference to death and life. And Paul's going to be continually making this argument that you are dead to sin, or your old man is dead, and you've been given new life. Therefore, this newness of life should flush itself out with you living holy like Jesus. Okay? And if you're listening... This should be causing some kind of frustration in your soul because you're kind of like, well, if I am dead to sin, why am I still sinning? All right? I, I hope that that is maybe a question in your mind. We're going to answer that. Verse 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing in order that my sinfulness might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's all we're going to read for now. We're going to come to level 14 in a second. What's the point? Paul is saying, you know, you ought not to continue to live in sin and pursue upon the God's grace in order that God may God's grace may bow and bow and bow. This isn't license to sin. And here's why. The old you die. You're no longer slaves to sin. You've been given new life in Christ. And in our heads, we're kind of like, okay. I get that, but Paul, are you talking about this already not yet thing? Like, is this just what's true about me, but I'm not going to experience the fullness of that or the reality of that until, like, Jesus comes and brings me home or comes back? And Paul actually is going to be making an argument here that, no, actually, you should be experiencing this new life in Christ and this deadness to sin now. And that's what I'm talking about. That, that then frustration, that irritation, that vexation in your soul comes from... The reality that you are still giving in to sin. So that's what we're going to address tonight. You know, Paul gives a warning in Romans chapter 2. After he talks about all this unrighteousness and people you know, giving in to sin and increasing. He says to the really religious people, be careful you who would judge those who continue to sin. You yourselves are the same things, right? And he says this, do not presume upon the riches of his kindness, his grace. In other words, brother and sister, don't keep on sinning, presuming that you are in Jesus Christ, and therefore his grace is superabundant over your sin. Don't do that. Some of us, a lot in life, live in sin or have moments of sin, and we continue in sin because we think we're getting away with it. And Paul's warning in Romans 2 is, don't think you're getting away with it. Even if you fool everybody on earth. You will one day stand before God. Don't presume upon his kindness. And then Paul says this. His kindness, his patience with you, his mercy towards you and your sin 
The reality that you haven't received the depths of what you deserve. I'm not even talking eternal wrath. I'm talking even just basic consequences on earth of you giving it a sin. But Paul says the reason that you haven't experienced this isn't so that you can continue in sin. It's so that you would then turn to repentance. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so that's a huge word for people today who might be living in sin or habitual sin or struggling with sin. You ought to realize today that God is being kind and merciful to you, praise the Lord, in order that you would actually stop and turn to him and live in this newness of life. So he comes to this in Romans chapter 6. And he uses these two words I want to talk about. In Adam, this is the argument at the end of 5, beginning of 6. In Adam, he says that sin reigned. Reigned, 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 reigned. Say reigned. R-E-I-G-N, not like weather, okay? What does that mean? It means a couple things. Number one, it means that in your depravity, the core of who you were was Adam. You we're living in darkness. Romans 8, which we're going to talk about in a, you know, maybe a couple months, says that not only were you not pleasing God, it was impossible for you to please God. Those who are not in the Spirit cannot please God. So in Adam, you had no ability to do any good. Sin reigned. It was your ruler, your governor, your master. And it wasn't just that sin owned you. It's actually even more serious than that. Sin was the most powerful force. In fact, the leading force in your life. The power that you have in Adam is the power to sin. That's it. You were, he uses another word, enslaved to sin. So sin was your ruler, sin was your master, it was the primary force working inside of you. You were enslaved to it. Meaning this, whatever sin told you to do, what did you do? You sinned. You were an Adam. You had no ability to do anything but that. It defined the very core of who you were. Heard talk about this a couple weeks ago. The flip now that Paul is saying is, therefore... Those who are in Christ, sin no longer reigns. It no longer is king. It's no longer the rule of the governor. It's no longer the primary force. Grace now reigns through righteousness, which means grace reigns in your life now through Jesus. It's the work of Jesus completely. He now has given you the ability to resist sin. In other words... Your relationship with sin has now changed. This is really important. Don't miss that statement. If you are in Christ today, your relationship with sin has changed from what it was before Christ. Jesus has literally set you free from being controlled by sin. You no longer have to do whatever sin tells you to do. You now have the ability to say no to sin. I mean, take that really practically. It means that if you are in Christ, when you are um, presented with an opportunity to give in to sin, any kind of temptation, you don't have to do it. And not only that, but you now have power and ability to resist it. And that is different than what it was before. Beforehand, you couldn't. Any self-control that people practice outside of Christ... 
is self-control that is still sinful because it's prideful. It's first and foremost for their own glory, their own body, their own affluence, their own power, their own influence with others. It has nothing to do with the glory of God. And Romans 14 says anything apart from faith is sin. Without faith, Hebrews 11, it's impossible to please God. So even the most noble moral acts in the world, if they're not in Christ, they're not for Christ. And therefore, they still fall short of the glory of God. You had no ability to glorify God before Christ. But now, in Christ, sin is not your master. Grace reigns. Your relationship with sin has changed because you now have a relationship with Jesus. And therefore, Jesus has set you free from being controlled by sin. And you have the ability to resist sin. And furthermore, the primary force. This is why, you know, John also says, Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. You know, you, you could actually say the same thing this way. Greater is he who is in me now than he who used to be in me. That's essentially the same thing. I now have the spirit of God inside of me. And that spirit is stronger than my own flesh, the old me, the devil in this world. It's the primary force in my life. Which, by the way, is why you will grow and you will be changed. And you will get all the way to glory. You are no longer... A slave to sin. Which means this. If you are in Christ today and you still sin, and that is everyone here. <laughs> Every single one of us still sins. Here's the reality. You sin not because you're a slave to sin anymore. You actually sin voluntarily. And I know this makes you know some people feel really weird, but you do it freely. Like you make real free decisions to sin. Before Christ, you had no choice. You were a slave to sin. In Christ, now, you, when you sin, it's not because sin is more powerful than you. It's because in those moments, you are not believing the truths of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is better, the good news of suffering or whatever it may be, and you therefore give in to sin voluntarily, freely. You reject the fact that you have the ability to resist sin now. Paul says, okay, now believer, just because you can still f sin freely, don't do it. You've been set free from sin. And Paul says later in Galatians chapter 5, you were called, you were saved, you were justified, you were received, you were brought near to God to freedom, in freedom. You were called to freedom. Or as Paul says here, you've been set free from sin. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't continue in sin. You've been set free from sin. So say no to sin now. It's not your master. It's not the primary force in your life. And he says, you want to know how to do this? He continues, but through love serve one another. Which is why I go back to you know, this last Sunday's topic on community and what the Word of God says about how we live in fellowship with one another and how that's the primary and prominent means in which we grow in our Christian faith. This is why I'm so passionate about it. Paul says essentially in Galatians chapter 5, you've been freed from sin, so don't use your new freedom to sin. Rather, here's how you cannot sin. Through love, serve one another. It's amazing. Through godly love, serve one another. It's like are you struggling with sin tonight? You want to know how to kill that sin? Through love, serve your brothers and sisters. Through love, serve the least of these. Through love, care for your neighbors. 
Through love, care for the poor. Through love, encourage your brothers. Through love, meet the needs of those that you see around you. It's amazing. Now, we do still say there's a helpful picture that I want you to kind of think about. like um, Because there is this struggle with assurance, right? Because there is the reality, and you see this, there are those, First John warns about those who are in the church who appear to be sheep, who will walk away, and so prove that they never belong in the church. And so in the back of some people's heads who know scripture well, they're kind of like, well, where's the line? How do I know if the sin that I am like still struggling with and wrestling with, how do I know if that means that I'm not in Christ? Or how do I know if this is just something I'm struggling with? Or am I going to end up leaving the church? And the uh, first thing I would say is it is negative 25% helpful to think those questions and thoughts. <laughs> They're paralyzing. They actually put way too much pressure on you as if you're the one who can keep your salvation and you can't. Christ keeps you. He loses none whom the Father gives him. That's the great news. The fact that you're thinking that, if you're thinking it in a way of, I don't want to keep doing this, I want to be in Christ, that is great evidence of the Spirit of God inside of you. Here's what happens. I want you to imagine yourself before Christ as an orphan, which is, you know, this adoption theme is real in Scripture. Think of an orphan. You lived on the streets, you had no one to take care of you, you were homeless, you were poor, you were destitute, you were living off scraps and garbage cans, you had no shelter, you were cold, you were fragile. And what happens, somebody comes along and they receive you as their child. This is like the image of salvation. So God, a person comes, brings you into their abundant home with abundant food and abundant relationships and abundant friendships and incredible power and warmth and new clothes and they're taking care of you, meeting all of your needs. Now, here's what happens. Sometimes, and this actually does happen like in stories of conversations of orphans. Sometimes an orphan, because they have the reality of who they used to be, leave home and find themselves downtown again, eating scraps from a garbage can, and putting on old wet clothes. It doesn't mean that the orphan hasn't been brought into a home. It just means sometimes... People who are still living in the reality of brokenness go back to brokenness. It doesn't make them any less a child. It just makes them still wander. And so in Christ, we've been freed from sin. We've been brought into this household of God where we have everything we could possibly need. There's no reason to go back out into the world. But sometimes we do. Because we're still living in broken bodies we're not yet perfect. We're living in broken worlds where there's all kinds of oppression and temptation and struggles outside of the household of God. That's why sometimes people wander. But one of the things I want you to look at is chapter 5, verse 21. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. That's where we're here. If you're an underliner in your Bible, you should underline that word, leading. Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what Paul refers to in verse 4 of chapter 6 as walking in the newness of life. In Christ, you now are walking in a new life, a newness of life that is leading you to eternal life. There is an amazing reality of this gap understanding in 1 John chapter 3. 
So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. It's one of the most intense and sometimes discouraging passages of Scripture because we focus on all the hard parts of it and we miss one incredibly powerful portion. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. You will probably recognize this verse when you read it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, John says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And then you'll recognize this. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now that verse... I have dealt with hundreds of times in ministry of people who come and they're like, okay, so am I a Christ or am I an Adam still? What does it mean? Like, if I keep on sinning, and obviously I'm sinning every day, I fall short every single day, does that mean I keep on sinning? Does that mean I'm practicing sinning? What does it mean to practice sin? Is that just like habitual sin? Is that like if I'm not convicted by sin? What is it? And when does habitual sin start? Is it like after two weeks? Or is it like after two months or two years? Or is it two days or two hours? Like, help me out here. Am I in Christ? And they're paralyzed. But keep reading. It initially gets a little worse. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And you're like, ouch! Not helping me out. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And you're kind of like, yeah. Exactly. I'm struggling. So where am I? Now watch this. God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Alright. Spirit help me here. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. What we do when we read these verses is we look at all of the sinning parts and not at the God parts. What do you know to be true about the gospel? How are you born of God? A little interaction here. Give me an answer. How are you born of God, Logan? There is a confession of sin. There is a granting of faith. There is a spirit-empowered repentance in turning to Jesus Christ. Now, can you earn that and do that on your own? The Spirit of God does this work. We're just saying tonight. We, we've all professed in some sense. It, when you saying all I have is Christ, if you're in Christ, I mean, you, just, you literally just profess Christ as my Lord, the power of the Spirit, and you confess it was all of God. This is how we're born of God. And, and this reality is a free gift. Say free gift. Free gift. Okay. Now watch what Paul says. So don't look look beyond the harsh warnings of the sitting there and see what John is saying. If you've been born of God, you won't make a practice of sinning. Why? God's seed abides in you. In other words, God has planted a seed of faith in your dead heart. And now... For the remainder of your life, the Holy Spirit 
through means of preaching and singing and fellowship and serving and loving is going to water that seed. And more people are going to come along and give that growth in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that seed is going to flourish and branch out of your heart into your limbs and the rest of your life. Each layer penetrating each layer of your life, making you more and more like Christ. As Paul says in Corinthians, transforming you from one image of glory to the next all the way until Christ comes back or takes you home. If you've been born again, you will not make a practice of sinning or keep on sinning. And really the warning here is those who have been born of God are not going to presume upon God's grace and say, well, then I'm just going to keep sinning. I'm going to keep living like sin is my master because I've got a whole bunch of grace. I'm going to abuse God. I'm going to presume upon God's grace. Believers don't do that. Do believers still sin? Yes. Because the process of sanctification is slow oftentimes and frustrating. We live in a broken world. God's seed abides in you. You cannot keep on sinning because you've been born of God. Here's what's amazing. In Adam, Romans chapter 8 says, you cannot please God. In Adam, Romans 8, you cannot, say cannot, please God. Because you are enslaved to sin and sin is your master. John says in 1 John 3, in God, when his seed is in plant, when you've been born again, you cannot keep on sinning. Say cannot. Cannot. Oh, man. So, I mean, if you want to believe in the reality of the biblical understanding of depravity, that you cannot please God apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit, then, oh my goodness, we're going to the truth that you cannot keep sinning if you've been born again. Now, here's how this fleshes itself out. That seed illustration is really important. So this last Sunday, I give an illustration about an onion, Right? I'll give it again in case you weren't here, and I'll give it again just to remind you. I'm not reading it, so it's not going to be as beautiful as day normal and sun. But essentially, you have this onion that represents your life, and the outer layer are these peripheral realities about you. It's the clothes that you wear. It's the car you drive. It's all the things that are completely unimportant. They're aesthetically what people see, who you are. It's kind of like your Instagram life in some ways. Not necessarily the realities about you. You peel back that layer, and all of a sudden you have maybe where you work, some friendships, relationships that you have. You go back even further, maybe it's a roommate and a spouse. You go back even further, it's convictions, what you believe about the world, how you view things, how you make decisions. You go back further, it's even like how you grew up, influences, experiences that you've had that shape the way that you think. You go beyond that. And by the way, you realize that each layer further into the core of who you are is getting more and more true to who you are. And you, you actually experience this. There are people that I know of, maybe online or in the community, I see them passing by and by. They may have an image based on appearance of what I wear, how I sound, where they've seen me, of who I am. But those who are closer to me know me better. Those who are even closer to me know me even better. Those who are closer know me even better. My parents know me in a way that many of you guys don't because of my experiences, convictions. There's a sense in which I know myself even a little bit better based on how I flesh out decisions. And then beyond that, there's an even scarier core that we, and this is where most people think the depths of who they are is, you know, my secrets, things nobody else knows about me. The depths of my sin, the skeletons in my closet, the thoughts that I'm thinking about you and about myself and about them that nobody else can see that I'm filtering for comes out. And many people live in this trap. Oh, yes! Thank you, Spirit. 
many people struggle with assurance because they think that is the most inner reality of who they are. What I know about myself. And you're going, people in outer layers maybe think I got it together. They think I'm religious. They think I'm a loving husband. They think I'm a nice dad. This and that. But it's like I'm going insane because I'm, I'm torturing myself because I know secrets about me that you don't. And you go, that's who I am. And then you wrestle. You're like, am I, keep, am I sinning? Am I the keep on sinning here? It's like, no, no, no. If you've been born again, the super abundant grace of God has covered that. And there's another layer. Because in Adam, the most inner layer in Adam is sin. That's the most inner layer. Sin's your master, your owner, your enslaved. But in Christ, you peel back the layer of even your deepest, darkest secrets and sins. And what you have is you are united to Christ. That's that seed from 1 John 3. The person who professes in faith Jesus is my Lord, which is a gift from God. Your sin's forgiven. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything. Jesus saves you. A seed is now planted in the innermost part of your being. And what it does first is it tells you all these secrets and sins and realities of who you are. Look how increasing and abounding they were. My grace has superabounded over those. And now this seed for the rest of your life, brother and sister, is being watered and growing and starting to influence the outer spheres of everything that you are people see to be. And it doesn't happen overnight. One of the questions, I'll, I'll just kind of like throw a little more. Jeremy's going to be doing a small group. Logan, are you doing a small group tonight? Herbert, are you doing a small group? So when you guys ask this question, there's a question tonight that says, what are some ways that you've experienced the seed of God in you Growing and transforming you from one image to another. And what I want is, like, I actually want you guys to share some testimonies of, yeah, I have experienced that kind of change. Because I used to really wrestle with this. And I'm not saying, this is, nobody's giving me testimony of perfection tonight. But I have seen a change that God is doing in my life where I used to, like, literally love these things, not be convicted about these things, or struggle with these things. And God is definitely doing a work. You can also give testimonies of, hey, there are some outer shells that need more of that seed to penetrate through. Amen. But I want to hear some stories to encourage one another of, look what Jesus has been doing in my life. I've been born of God. I cannot keep on sinning because no longer the inner core of who I am is a dead heart. It's an alive seed, and the seed is born of God. Oh, my goodness. It's the greatest reality in your life. You cannot keep on sinning. You've been born of God. So, how does this flesh itself out? Go back to Romans 6, and that will be done. Oh my goodness, I almost finished at 8. It's going to be 8 of 4. Verse 11. Put your finger on verse 11, and then look up at me. One of a fun fact about Romans. This is intentional. The Spirit of God breathed this letter, Okay. The order of it is ordained by the Spirit of God, the very mind of God, the very will of God. Chapter 6, verse 11, are you ready for this? Is the first command in Romans. This is the first time that Paul actually is going to look the believer in the face through writing and say, therefore, this is what you should do. No other command before this will you find in Romans. All of this reality, 
death, depravity, presuming upon God's grace. No one's righteous. The wages of sin is death. Law increased it. Here you have this enslaved sin in Adam. It spread to all men. Then you have this abundance of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, the superabundance of God's working in your life. And then the response is this, verse 11. First command, Paul says, essentially, therefore, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. First command in Romans. Here's what you need to know tonight. If you've been born again, if Jesus saved you, the biggest reality of who you are is that you're united with Christ. You peel back past even the deepest, darkest parts of who you are that nobody knows about, and what you're going to find is not a dead heart. You're going to find a saved God. You are united to Christ. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is how you change the way you live. We sin, friends, because we forget who we really are. You fall into habitual sin because you've lied to yourself that you can't overcome it. I mean, I'm literally talking that Jesus has given you power and ability and desires, even if you've wrestled, let's say even for like, you know, young adults, especially sexual sin is so prevalent. I mean, let's say you're coming in tonight and you struggle with pornography and the likes of that for 10 years. And you are at the point where like, I'm just gonna struggle with this till I die. This is so depressing and defeating. Here's what you need to know. If you are in Christ, beyond that peel of secrecy, of nobody knowing your internet history and what you do on your phone and your computer when no one's looking. Beyond all of that, the most true reality of who you are is you're united to Christ. You are dead to sin. You've been given the ability and the power to resist that sin. And God means to transform you from one image of glory to the next until he comes back. And brother and sister, you will change. Philippians 1.6 Essentially, is a word of encouragement to not be discouraged with the slowness of your sanctification. Paul says, he who began a good work. Actually, I am confident of this. That he who started the good work in you, he who planted the seed of God in your dead heart, will finish that work. All the way to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, man. You don't have to sin. For me, it's like, babe, you don't have to be so angry. You don't have to be so competitive. You don't have to be so prideful. You don't have to be so impatient. Why? I mean, those are all, in some sense, what I would consider the deepest reality of who I am. It's like, no, I'm not that. I'm not that. Which is why he says, consider yourself. I mean, that, that word, by the way, means you have to go and have a new worldview where you are looking from the inside out, not starting in the outer layers and then going all the way back in to who you think you are and stopping at the secret sin. Start all the way beyond that and let it penetrate out. Change the way you think of yourself. I told uh, Pastor Mike, I told him this actually today. Seven or eight years ago, I came face to face. I'm going way past it before. It's okay. Seven or eight years ago, I came face to face with really difficult scripture that did not 
fit for who I believed God to be. And what I thought salvation was. And in my comfort, it was easier for me to reject it angrily for about a year. And say, that's just not who God is. And if that's who God is, I don't want anything to do with it. And I thought everybody who thought that God was that way was crazy. I thought it was against my good. I thought he was selfish for doing things for his glory. I mean, I really struggled. I really struggled with this. My life over the course of a year and people just encouraging me, loving me, being patient with me. My understanding of who God was in this world completely changed. And it actually radically changed my life. Changed my life. And actually, those who like knew me before and after, I'm certainly nowhere near, oh, Lord, help us where I want to be. But people can actually kind of point that date and say, yeah, they did change. I told them, that was instrumental in my life. I told Pastor Mike that studying and thinking through and sitting under preaching about union with Christ has been just as dramatic in my life these last three months as that was eight years ago. That changed my view of God and the world. This reality of union with Christ is changing my understanding of me. Oh my goodness. I really want you to feel the weight of that. Oh. It's like I am not the old me. And so when I have moments or I act like the old me, I just want to tell myself, and I want you to tell yourself, no, that's not you. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to give in to that sin. You've been made new. The superabundant of grace has transformed you. Peel back that layer, David. Go a layer deeper, and you're going to see you're in Christ. That seed of God has been planted. You're changing. You will change. You can say no. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. You're free. You're free. Father, one of the most powerful things you're showing me really, really recently, and friends, I want you to know this, this is really recently in my heart and mind. I've been Trying to be transformed. Oh, I've been trying to change based alone on my understanding of who you are. And Lord, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm even asking for your spirit to guide my prayer. Because understanding who you are is the most important reality in the world. It's the foundation. But you are showing me, and I want the Spirit even now show my friends to show me deeper. That change also comes when, because of who I see you to be, I can now see who I really am in Christ. And I'm praying tonight for the power of your spirit that has planted that seed in our once dead hearts and now united us with Christ 
Lord Jesus, would you water and grow those seeds and bear fruit? That even tonight, even in this moment, the power of the Spirit would break people from habitual sin. Free them from anger and lust and greed and pride and laziness. Empower them with what Paul says. Don't use your freedom for yourself. Don't use your freedom to give it to sin for the world, for the flesh. Through love, serve one another. Oh God, free us in love to love one another and serve one another. It's the most rewarding life in the world to live for the glory of God, to love God with every fiber of our being and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Thank you for your word. It is alive and active. I have so sensed it in my own spirit tonight, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for fruitful discussions now in these small groups. That there would be encouraging. Your spirit would be among us, leading us, guiding us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.